and welcome back to The Scriptures Are Real, this podcast where we try to connect ourselves with the scriptures and make them more real to us and uh, draw more power out of the scriptures, as Carrie would like to say. I'm Lamar, and this is Carrie here. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Hey, the, I saw the numbers in the podcast. We're starting to grow. Some, we're getting out to some people. I hope they're uh, enjoying what we're doing, and if they can uh, share this, I hope we have a message in general that resonates with people and helps you to connect with the scriptures better so that uh, you can uh, feel more of a part of the scriptures and have them work in your life. So that's what this is about, right? Yep, that's that's exactly what we want. You're not in your normal surroundings. You are uh, you are out of town today. Yeah, I'm in a hotel room in Toronto. Uh, most years I go to uh, a conference, an Egyptology conference here at the University of Toronto. It's uh, it's called the Society for the Study of Egyptian Antiquities. I'm the, the senior vice president of that organization. I was president for a little, teeny little while when the president had to resign and i was president <laughs> until we could get a new president but anyway most of the time scandal in egyptology oh much. no <laughs> yeah yeah um, and uh so anyway we uh uh i haven't been up here for several years because of covid so this is my first time back since 2019 okay. so it's kind of nice to be back but i'm just in the hotel room tonight Good to know. Okay. Well, you know, last time we we uh, we were talking about Hosea just yesterday, and we were we got through all of Hosea, but we just ran out of time for Joel, um, and so we're back to talk about Joel. Yeah, not a long book. We should be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's only three chapters. So yeah. now they call uh, this one of the minor prophets, and, and that's not a denigration of the prophet himself we don't maybe there was more writings maybe he was a super great prophet and but yeah. we don't have the writings of that particular people maybe that ward or stake or whatever lost their stuff i don't know but yeah. um we don't know why that but we only have a little bit they had of a really on. subpar scribe who just couldn't yeah. keep up with joel or just a bad record keeper they lost those scrolls or yeah. they got burned when the assyrians came and whacked them so who knows? yeah who knows yeah but you're right so when we say minor prophets what we mean not as big writings, okay? So yes. the major prophets are the ones that have big writings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, but the minor prophets are the ones that are small. You know, Habakkuk, Obadiah, those are pretty, those are even smaller than Joel, right? Uh, so he is one of the, the minor prophets. Um, and one that we have a really, really hard time placing chronologically. So Joel doesn't tell us anything about who he is or what kings he prophesies under most prophetic books have the like a one of their first verses they say you know so-and-so son of so-and-so who uh, prophesied during the reigns of this Reign king of someone we've got zero of that in joel um so and he doesn't mention any group specifically so some of his prophecies sound somewhat similar to isaiah's ways of describing assyria so some people have thought that that he's contemporary with isaiah and micah and hosea and that uh, he's prophesying about Assyria, but those prophecies could be given to Babylon, or it could be about something else altogether. There are some people who argue that he's the earliest of the prophets, the, the, of the writing prophets, right? So we have like Elijah and Elisha who are great prophets, but wouldn't have any of their writings. But of these written uh, books, he might be the earliest. He may be one of the latest. We don't know. Uh, if I if I had to bet, I'm not a betting man, but if someone were going to force me to bet, I'd probably say around the time of Assyria, but I, that's, that's a really loose guess. I, we really don't know. I've seen probably six or eight different things. It could have been yeah. Zephaniah's reign. It could have been here. It could have been there. I mean, there's a whole yeah. range. He could have been in there. 
basically the chapter one, verse one just says, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Beth Pethuel. Yeah. And that's all we know. <laughs> so yeah. They forgot the next part, which is during the days of blah, 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 blah. Son of right? whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever yeah. scribe should uh, put a time stamp in there. Yeah. So again, this is the subpar scribe. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah. And again, yeah. It, this could be a, just a partial role. It could have been leftover scrolls from somewhere else or yeah. bits and pieces that someone moved you know together so anyway it's but it, it might exactly. be that it's intentional so that it will be timeless uh and it really is timeless it, it seems to be able to apply to any time period okay that's good all right so let's uh since it is a short book and a short chat you know a short book and, a, and just uh in the come follow me um most of the emphasis is on hosea and we actually went quite a long time on hosea we we yeah. uh we didn't expect it to be a long one but we had a couple of good tangents that I think uh, hopefully they were meaningful to somebody. And I, I thought they went yeah. somewhere, but anyway, uh, we ended up doing all of Jose and that was over an hour. So, um, Joel, what do you think in your mind, Joel or Joel, uh, yeah. what do you, Wait, and it means Jehovah is God, by the way, Jehovah is God, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jehovah is God or God is Jehovah yeah. is my God, something in that range. Okay. So great. What do you, um, what's your takeaway from Joel? If you said, Hey, I'm just having Joel's my only chapter to work with. What's your, what's your biggest takeaway from Joel? So we'll give the quick summary here and then we can get more into it in, in uh, detail. But the quick summary is uh, destruction comes because of wickedness, but God preserves a remnant and blesses them and takes care of them, which is the quick summary of every prophet in the yeah, old testament like i think i've heard that somewhere where did i hear that oh every, uh, every yeah. time we talked is about yeah that. that's yeah. exactly yeah yeah oh yeah all the time um and and you do see even here at the beginning um well let's say at the very beginning uh it, you, you have some interesting imagery and it's all of destruction right where, where he's prophesying like a famine and it's hard to know if this is supposed to be a liberal famine or a spiritual famine. It's probably both. But he keeps tight. He has this great image of crops that will be eaten by one kind of pest after another, after another, after another. So there's nothing left because all these pests came through, you know, worms and caterpillars and whatever else um, and ate them all. And then we get to verse five. And this is the part that, uh, well, it's one of several parts that are so similar to Isaiah. Maybe Isaiah's quoting Joel or Joel's quoting Isaiah. I don't know, but likely they're both just seeing the same thing when they you get verse five and he talks about drunkards uh, and the people who are so drunk that they're going to be cut off and so on because they're just uh, they're, they're party guys instead of uh, serious guys. Right. So and then he goes immediately into describing a strong nation that's going to come up and their teeth are like a lion and so on. And that does sound similar to Isaiah, actually. So that's part of what makes me think maybe they're they're describing the uh, Syrians. And this is an interesting thing. Joel clearly has a lot of stuff that's about the last days. But I always think we can't ignore that most prophets, while they'll prophesy about the last days, also prophesy, prophesy about their own day. It's not very often that God will send a prophet and say, I want you to say a bunch of stuff. It's not going to be help the people in your time at all. And it's not nothing about what they're doing. It's all about something else. Right, right. Usually we're, they're trying to get their people in their day to repent. So I suspect that this is about either the Assyrian army or some army that's really going to come. Right. I mean, we've talked about this. Uh, we talked about 
um, in our Isaiah multiple fulfillments, right? Yes, there yeah. are, of course there are fulfillments. And a lot of times we, um, in our church, we often take the, the scriptural heading or the, the, the scripture headings that we have, which are not really part of the scriptures. They are, they are just study helps basically to help us break down. Yeah. A lot of times and and the headings are largely just to help you find what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. That's, just they're not supposed it, right? to be comprehensive commentaries. Right. And, and a lot of times we take those as like, well, this is the meaning. This is what this chapter means. And then especially in Isaiah, it kind of pigeonholes Isaiah into like, well, this is a prophecy about, about Joseph Smith. Yes, yeah. it could be, but there's multiple points. It's particularly yeah. about Christ. Exactly. Yeah. It's more about Christ. But yes, it has multiple fulfillments, and it has fulfillments in his day as well. So like we talked about then, oftentimes he's looking at his day, but it also has fulfillments in Christ's day, also has fulfillments in the... So there's a lot of different multiple fulfillments in there. And of course, we see these types and symbols that keep recycling over and over. And that's not by accident. That's by design that we that we that the lord is trying to teach us by these symbols and things so you know people were a type of christ in that, that they did certain things that christ would do purposely so then when christ came they recognized him as that savior that had been prophesied yeah. and of course that is sets up for his final coming things that he would do then so yeah it's all tied in yes but oftentimes we when we read those just the scripture headings we miss that and just jump right to oh well that's that's about this well, I, but more, there's more. I mean, it doesn't make sense to send a prophet to go over there and spend chapters and chapters or, you know, a lot of, a lot of time talking about something that's thousands of years in their future. What do they get out of that? They yeah. get, it's a prophet for their day as well. So I agree. Yeah. So, okay, great. Um, well, we agree on that. So we've solved the old Testament. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's just be done. That's our last episode. <laughs> so uh but that's good so the strong drink um you're talking about that that uh again we a lot of symbol symbolic language here that we're talking about um uh yeah i think it's it. important to think through that i mean there's prophecy of, of famine and destruction which is probably literal and will happen again and again and again uh but it's also very much tied into a spiritual famine and spiritual destruction uh, and and we're going to see Joel do that explicitly uh, after a while. And in some ways, he does it uh, in the end of or towards the middle end of chapter one, where he talks about after talking about the, the husband. So that the farmers are going to be in distress because they can't get anything to grow. Uh, but then he tells the priest to howl. And uh, because there's not going to be able to be any offerings. Now, presumably, that's partially because all the animals and all the, the famine, vegetables and grain yeah. and so on die. So there's nothing to offer. Uh, but it, it disrupts the temple service. And that's also a, a great sign of terrible things happening and of loss of contact with God and so on. Uh, and the solution to some degree, we get in verse 14, it says, uh, call a fast and a solemn assembly and, and gather one every uh, uh, gather everyone together uh, because the day of the Lord. And that means anytime God is coming out in judgment and it can be all sorts of different time periods is is coming upon them uh, because of all of this wickedness. So that's really chapter one in a nutshell. Yeah, this is interesting. Also, I noticed that right there. Um, I want to get your take on this in verse 18 and how the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. 
yeah. then uh, drop down to verse 20 in the beast of the field cry unto thee so what's the sim symbol there or the, the symbolic I think this, meaning of that yeah i think this is part of um why they can't have meat offerings and so on uh the any drought is a double whammy or a twofold if we're going to be a little more serious language i guess than double whammy but a, a twofold curse to judah because it it makes it so their crops aren't successful but it also ends their grazing land and uh wild well uh herds right so whether that be cattle or sheep or goats and all three are really 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 important to their economy their their food economy their subsistence mm -hmm. economy uh when the grazing is gone then that also goes away and so it's devastating for them and i think that's what he's trying to do is, is paint a picture of devastation so this brings up a an important point that we've probably touched on a little bit uh, elsewhere but it's been a long time and i'm not sure how well we touched on it but it's really important for understanding joel um the prophets isaiah was particularly good at this but i think joel really is as well and you'll see it in jeremiah a bit also but they they often will contrast although sometimes they just one of two things i just use one of two things um what I would call chaos imagery and abundance imagery. So chaos imagery is when you say that everything has gone wrong. So I'll, as I try and describe it, I'll use English equivalents of chaos imagery. Uh, so like if we say everything has gone haywire or everything is turned on its head or the world is, is turned upside down uh, or inside out uh, or cats and dogs living together to quote Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> right. Um, the, all of those are chaos images we don't actually think that the well or we'll say the world stood still or something like that right or the world stopped turning um we don't think any of those things really happen they're just images that convey how much everything isn't how it should be mm -hmm. and that that's really tied in with covenant ideas because when you have when you keep the covenant everything's wonderful when you don't it's not neutral it's all terrible right the opposite of chaos imagery is abundance imagery, and we're going to see Joel uses a little bit of abundance imagery and a lot of chaos imagery. Other prophets have different balances, um, but abundance imagery is where everything is just so fantastic, and there, there's water coming from nowhere and trees and and uh, milk and honey, land of milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's exactly right. Um, and so, uh, to some degree, we don't want to get caught up in getting too literal with some of these things because they're probably very similar to their phrases like uh it was all turned on its head or it all went haywire right uh maybe no one uses that phrase anymore i don't know that was a phrase we used when i was younger but um <laughs> so I, some of that is probably what's going on in chapter two with all the destruction of the crops which means that all the animals are going to die there's probably some actual degree of that going but i think the real thing he's trying to paint is hey you haven't been living right, so things are going to go real wrong for you. Right. Or wrong. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so chaos, is that an official term? Chaos, Im chaos imagery? Is that, a, um, or is that just... I can't remember if I made that up or if I got that from someone else. I think I might have made that up, but it's it is a, a, a notion. So I might have made up the term, or someone else may have. I don't remember, but it's a notion that's well accepted. I, I, I might have coined that phrase, I, but it really is an idea that everything uh, it's an accepted motif in ancient literature when you say that everything has gone so 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 wrong 
Right. And so in Egyptian literature, you'll get like the river dries up and the fish are stinky and <laughs> the birds all leave because there's no place for them to drink or to land and these kinds of things. That's the same kind of idea. Well, I thought it was interesting the way it, it listed here. It's, it's interesting. It says twice in this one, it says that the beast grown and there is a there is a passage. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where it is that the earth groans because of the wickedness upon it. Oh, yeah, that's in uh, Enoch's vision in Moses chapter seven. OK, there it is. Yeah. And it seems like there's another one, too, maybe in Romans or something. But anyway, it talks oh, about the, the, the beasts of the field and or, or whatever. It, it talks about these other animals or whatever are also distraught. So anyway, I just thought it was yeah. interesting that that the the that the even the even the beasts are even the animals are are noticing how bad it is. But like we've talked about, I don't know if we talked about it here, but um, if you've ever studied anything about uh, about ancient uh, uh, peoples, you know all the fighting takes place. Well, this is true even today, but the fighting takes place on top of the crops. That's where they yeah. fight. They fight in the open fields. And the open yeah. fields are where all the crops are. So when you have fighting or where the armies come out to meet each other, they meet them. You're meeting in the middle of a field and trampling all that. So, you know, or, or you're, or, you know, and then of course you burn their fields if you're going to try to starve them out or something like that. Or you're, yeah. they feed, you burn the fields. So famine is one thing that's uh, associated with war. And of course, this um, doesn't help to the locust come. He talks about three different things that the locust comes the locust, the stripping locusts, and, and uh, there's a couple different. He, I think he mentions locusts three times. Uh, oh, yeah. the um, it's in verse four. That which the palm earth hath left, the locust has eaten. Which the locust yeah. has left, the cankerworm has eaten. Which the cankerworm has left, the caterpillar hath eaten. So I don't know if these right. are different, different, but whatever. It's just talking about you've got a plague going on with, with, um, with insects and and that kind of thing. So again, you're right, chaos. The entire thing that. You got famine, you got war, you got everything going wrong. So, uh, again, these are we talked about this in Hosea. These are heavy chapters from the standpoint of like the material is, it's pretty heavy. Like you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of a downer. But um, but yeah. we were really there is some bright spots, and we pointed those out, especially in Hosea six yeah. and then the end of fourteen. There are bright spots because the Lord does not leave you this way forever. You are reclaimed. He does reclaim Israel. But the warning is still out there. Look, get your get your ducks in a row. Yeah. Get your beasts and locusts in a row. Whatever. Get yourself, <laughs> a, get yourself sorted out and return to the covenant, and you won't have these problems. And you, you'll see that continue, this chaos imagery at the beginning of chapter 2, but it's got an interesting twist. So the, the verse 1 has um, it's imagery from uh, a watchman, right? So a watchman usually sits on the tower, and it tells you, if good tidings are coming or he tells you if like he sees a storm and or if he sees an army or an enemy. And in which case you blow the trumpet to warn uh, that's an alarm, right? To warn people mm -hmm. that uh, the enemy is coming. But interestingly, in verse one, the watchman is going to warn them that God is bringing an army on them. Right. So this is more of that. And we've seen this before. Uh, God says he's going to send the Assyrians. He's going to send the Babylonians. Um it's this uh, notion that God uses the wicked to punish the wicked. He tells Nephi he'll send the Lamanites to punish the Nephites when they need to be humbled and so on. But uh, it would seem in this case that God is again sending whatever army is coming as a, a way to humble them and punish them. So the watchman will have the trumpet to warn them and it's a day of darkness and gloominess and, and so on. A fire is going to come. So it's before the fire, it's like the Garden of Eden, and after that, it's just so destroyed, and there's nothing left, and 
He describes their appearance of them and the horsemen and the noises and everything. And it's just a big, scary army. And again, I don't know that uh, this, there may, well, he's probably talking about a literal army coming um, in their day, but I think he's also trying to paint this picture of when you uh, don't keep the covenant, just things get bad. Uh, even to the point where uh, verse nine, you know, run to and fro in the city, but verse 10, the earth shall quake before them and the heavens shall tremble and the sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Uh, and now I don't know if that, and, and Joel seems to love this imagery more than any other prophet. So if you're just going to go percentage of verses that he has and percentage of ver verses that are about stars and sun and moon having some kind of problem, Joel's probably the champion in talking about these problems. And I have no idea whether we should take it literally or not. Uh, I think we we tend to, but I'm not sure it's a good idea. My my impression is that these are phrases. So it's kind of like, you know, we've got songs where we say that because this girl left, that the sun doesn't shine no more. And mm -hmm. no one hears that and thinks, oh, wow, the sun's going to stop shining. Oh, oh, my, right? Or we say, you know, the world stopped turning or whatever. Um, I don't think that, we sh necessarily should take it literally, maybe, but I suspect this is, again, chaos imagery, saying that everything is terrible and that even the heavens and the sun and the moon are terrible. So I don't I don't know, but you're going to get Joel using those images a lot. Yeah, and uh, verse 5 says the noise of the chariots. Now there's actually chariots, and maybe it is. Maybe that, that is actual, you know, um, imagery of, the, of uh, armies attacking and, and destroying. But like we've said before on that, that the moon turned to blood. Now, what does that actually mean? Well, here's yeah. one thing. And if you've ever been, if you've ever been in an area where you've had some big forest fires and yeah. that brown or terrible smog, smog. Up, or, or smog. Yeah. The, yeah. the moon comes up and if you got a full moon or a bright moon, it really does look like blood red. It can get really dark. And that, yeah. and that could be because of smoke and, and things in the air. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that it, that it could be referring to, but the imagery there, the takeaway isn't the exact what it is exactly what it is and you know, we can pin it down to oh this is the battle of xyz the point is don't go there just yeah. get yourself together and stay away from that if you can yeah okay. and, and uh, i mean that's probably summed up very well in verse 11 of chapter 2 the lord shall utter his voice before his army for his camp is very great for he is strong that executed his word for the day of the lord is great and very terrible and who can abide it right when justice comes you're in trouble now, let's remember what we talked about with Hosea. Punishment is with a purpose. It's to humble us. But when it comes, it's not pretty. Right. Especially when you get to the point where these people were, where they, they, he tried several times before to reclaim them. You know, and, they, and they were spared a couple of times. They, oh, okay, the, you know, we've been attacked and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get it together. And they did that a few times. They pulled it together. But these people are just not listening. And even when yeah. they are... When when they do have a blessing, they attribute it to Baal or something like that, and that just yep. really doesn't go over well with with God. He's like, "That's it. You guys are just not hearing." So it's it's going to get pretty bad. All right, um, I wanted to bring in this part. This is from the the Come Follow Me, and it's going to tie into right what we said. And this is the part where he talks about that Moroni came and quoted some of this early. Well, he quoted some things, but we think it might have been Joel. And again, it could be Joel quoting someone else or whatever. But he talks about this um, in Joseph Smith history. It talks about him coming, and he quotes from these chapters. And in, in uh, Joseph Smith history uh, 141, he also quoted the second chapter of Joel from the 28th verse to the last. So I, I, I imagine that 
you know, Joseph Smith knows what he's voting for, but he closed this. He also said this was not yet fulfilled, but would soon be. And he further stated, when the fullness of the Gentiles is soon will come, as soon is soon to come. And he quoted many other passages of scripture. But I think it's interesting the fact that this little small book, three chapters long, um, Moroni comes and and does that, and and Joseph Smith recognizes it from the book of Joel, and yeah. says from what do you say from the twenty eighth. Yeah. Chapter. So let, let's let's maybe preview a couple things before we get to that twenty eighth verse. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then that twenty eighth verse is a really well, probably the most famous verses from Joel. But um, there's some really powerful ones that are in some ways the crux of the whole book. Are it's a verses twelve through fourteen. So just before this, he's been saying about all the, the terrible stuff. But then we're going to get some phrases that we'll recognize. We hear all over the place of scriptures. I think I mentioned that last time. Where in verse 12, it says, therefore, also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me. So I think we've talked about that to constantly to turn or return to him. But he says, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God. So we're, we've got more to read, but let's talk about that part. Just this constantly to turn. But I love this phrase, rend your heart and not your garments. So the idea of Tearing your garments was supposed to symbolize that you're tearing your heart. But we start often doing the outward motions and forgetting about what's what's really supposed to happen. And he's saying, you need to feel torn up. You need to, to feel bad about what you're doing and repent and come to me with your whole heart and fast and weeping and mourn over your, and, and over your wickedness, right? That's when things are going to change. And then look at what he says after he says, turn to the Lord your God after you've rent your heart. And I, I love that image of just tearing your heart. We all need to rend our heart and say, I am done with looking for what I want, right? I'm done with seeking after my favorite sins. I'm done with all this stuff. I'm tearing my heart and I'm just turning to you, God. And the reason we can do that is because what it says in the second part of verse 13, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Now, people often don't think of that in the Old Testament, but it says it again and again in the Old Testament. He is slow to anger. And of great kindness, the word there is chesed, right? So go back to our last episode when we talked about that. He is slow to anger and of great chesed and repenteth them of evil. We're going to come back to that. And who knoweth if he will return and repent? So let's let's stop there. Um, sometimes Joseph Smith changes when it says God was repenting. Uh, and he did that early on and then he stopped doing it. And I would guess, I, what I kind of get from that is the idea that we know that the word repent is translated from a word uh, that means to turn or to change. And um, in Joseph Smith's day, it didn't make sense to say that God repented because repenting meant you had done something wrong and you were trying right, to, right. to be forgiven. But what it means in these, these contexts is turning, turning to God, changing, right? Right, right. And the word translated as evil is probably better translated as bad stuff. All right. So they're saying, he he changes. He's willing to change from the bad things he was going to bring upon you. And the question is, who knows if he will turn and change and instead leave a blessing behind him? So we've actually seen this in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesies that because they're turning to Egypt and trusting in the world, that God is not going to help them. He prophesies that, I, that Hezekiah is going to die. In both cases, Hezekiah wholeheartedly turns to the Lord, gets his people to repent, and so on. And God turns away the bad stuff he had prophesied that he would bring upon them. Because they change, 
then that changes what God was willing to bring upon them. So this is a real thing that you can get God to turn away the bad stuff he was planning to do. Hopefully we can all do that. And instead we get him to leave a blessing on us because we're coming to the Lord with all our heart. And I think those are, that's what this all of Joel is about is trying to get us to do those things described in verses 12 through 14, to turn to God with all our heart, rend our heart and see if God will change from the, the justice that we deserve to instead bestow the mercy and the chesed that we can achieve because of Christ. I I wish they had to define that. I didn't know that that word right there, I'm not to mark that in my scriptures, that that word is also chesed, because we talked about chesed being twice in uh, Hosea 6, verse 6, and then we took a little bit of time on that last time, saying that it's translated as mercy, and we're not extending the Lord mercy, but he's saying all, all the sacrifices and everything don't mean anything if your heart's not in it. And that's the same thing, again, almost exactly the same thing here. Rend your heart. In other words, put the head, put your heart into it, and not your garments. It's it's not the it's not the tradition or the um, what am I trying to think of the it's not the symbol or the 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 um what's the word I'm the ordinance or whatever. It's not the ordinance that does it. It's your heart being in the ordinance that makes a difference. And that's what, so rending your garments is, again is one of the things that you do that you're commanded to do if you're repenting. But if your heart's not into it, don't. Why do all these other things? It's not, there's, that's, there's nothing. It's empty. It's empty words. That's good. Very, very good. And I guess let me uh, maybe even correct myself a little bit where I, where I said, talked about the repenting of the evil and I talked about turning. And it is to turn or to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also means like to, uh, to be, uh, console yourself, uh, to, to not any longer desire the thing that you were desiring to bring about right so you're changing you're turning and you're you're want this to be different and so yes he's had had to prophesy he's going to bring bad stuff but now he's turning because uh he would like it to be different so the same basic thing but a little right. slight nuance more i don't know would it be fair to say that it's, it's not that we're actually changing his mind but he it's just like as a parent we talked about this again last time as a parent you don't really want to punish. You don't want to ground that kid. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not, you don't want to restrict their freedom. It's not really the point. It's punishment with with a reason to get them to come back. Yeah. But you know, and again, if the kid does come back, then you feel you feel badly that you spoke bad to him. Not that you you did the wrong thing. And of course, it's you know we're not going to yeah. correct God or or you know stabilize the ark on our own. Of course, it, we're not correcting God. But it, but I think the what you're getting at, if I'm if I got it correctly, is. When it says, the, and the Lord repented or repented the Lord, he felt bad about it. He's like, okay, you, you learned your lesson. Yeah. And I'll be, you know, I'll be happy to change. I'll be happy to change the course of, of your correction. I'll, I'm going to stay your, your grounding. You're not grounded anymore. Or, you know, you can get this back or, you know, whatever. So, and then yeah. and it, it, I think it has to do with the, the feeling of God towards us. His heart is softened. Basically. Yeah. We've probably all had that experience as parents where someone is just, we, we warned them and they're still not doing well. And so we've just said, okay. We told you this, the consequences, let's start start going to it. And this usually happens more with younger kids and older kids because older kids get caught up in their pride the same way that really old kids like us do. But younger yeah. kids will finally say, oh, I'm sorry, daddy, or sorry, mommy, so sorry, sorry, I'll do better. And you can tell they mean it and they're ready to do better. And so if if they really are changing right then, they say, all right, I'll give you another chance. Right. You go show me that you really are going to do this differently and we're good. 
and they if they show you they do differently, then you're good, right? And and uh, I, it's because we didn't want to do that. We were only going through what we were going through because we, this had to change. And when we see they really change, we're good. And I think that's what it's describing. Yeah. I've chastised a daughter before and then felt bad afterwards. She was so sorry. And, oh, I'm sorry. I you know, didn't realize where she was. And I wouldn't have changed it. I'm, she needed the correction. She needed to know where the boundaries are. Yeah. I get but it. But you still but hate you, it. You do feel bad. You're like, uh, but you have compassion on it. So yeah. compassion maybe is the word I was looking for. So then he has compassion on that. And that comes into play. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's... Uh, yeah, we can keep read moving. About it and not What's that? Yeah, I would rather read about it next week. Yeah, we're already, uh, yeah, we're already making it three chapters into a, an, a yeah. into whole dissertation. Yeah. Here. But uh, okay, so we, so, we can move to to verse twenty eight now. And okay, uh, uh, why don't you go ahead with that? Yeah, uh, it says, and it and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And upon the servants, and also upon the servants, and upon the handmaidens, in those days will, will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in heavens and the earth, blood and fire, and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord to come. Oh, great day yeah, of so the there's Lord Joel come. on that again. He really likes those images of the sun yeah, and all that stuff. This thing. Yeah. But uh, the powerful verse. ones are those those ones about the spirit, right? This is where we know that that he's talking about a, a spiritual famine at one point. But this is the spiritual feast. This is the abundance imagery um, that we talked about. Only it's a spiritual abundance imagery, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and this seems to be Joseph uh, Moroni telling Joseph Smith, "This is about to happen. We're about to start to have the spirit poured out upon." everyone and they'll see uh, dreams and visions which certainly started to happen in joseph smith's day right right and again uh, there's, a, there's a multiple fulfillment here this also happened in joel's day okay? yes it happened then too and um but there must have been something important in this part enough for moroni to come repeat it you know a couple of times to joseph smith and joseph smith recognize it and, and put it in his history you know it, it it obviously made an impression. So of, of all the small books, must be something in here that we can take away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I mean, the, the afterwards suggests that after the, the destruction and the scattering, it's going to happen. And that's, as you said, probably somewhat in their day, but it also has a pretty heavy emphasis in the last days. Um, and President Hinckley, actually, in, in uh, October 2001 General Conference, he said that these verses were fulfilled. Now, I've heard people say, that he was talking about uh, both the verses about the dreams and about the moon being turned to blood and that kind of a thing. But if you read his talk carefully, everything he focuses on is the part about dreams and visions, not the moon being, being turned to blood. So I don't think it's that. But let me just read to you part of what he said after saying that this verse has been fulfilled or these, this prophecy has been fulfilled. He said, there has been more of scientific discovery during these years than during all of the previous history of mankind. Transportation, communication, medicine, public hygiene, the unlocking of the atom, the miracle of the computer with all of its ramifications have blossomed forth particularly in our own era. During my own lifetime, I have witnessed miracle after wondrous miracle come to pass. We take it for granted. And with all of this, the Lord has restored his ancient priesthood. He has organized his church and kingdom during the past century and a half. He has led his people. They have been tempered in the crucible of terrible persecution. He has brought to pass the wondrous time in which we now live. 
we have seen only the foreshadowing of the mighty force for good that this church will become. And yet I marvel at what has been accomplished. And so that's that's what President Hinckley had to say about those verses. And I think it's it's pretty powerful. I, I would suspect there's more to come. Right, President where, Nelson where has told us that, that if we're going to survive spiritually in the last days. We need to have the, the Holy Ghost with us. And he keeps telling us to learn how to hear him and so on. So I think he wants us to have even more of this. But there's been a, a remarkable amount. Where are you pulling that from? Uh, what what, uh, what talk are you quoting? Living in the Fullness of Times by Gordon B. Hinckley in October 2001 General Conference. Okay. All right. Living in the Fullness of Times, October Conference. Great. Um, I will make a note of that. And uh, yeah, well, great. Well, I think that's a good summary of, of what we're looking at. So again, we have the... The chaos imagery but then here in the end we have what's going to come and and again it's all about israel being redeemed at the last and and uh it, you know things will will turn out better but we still have to do our part together yeah. so uh, us as modern day israel uh get it together you know what can you do today this week this month that will make a difference in your life and the life of others to get back to the covenant or to stick to the covenant let's sit on maybe just a just real quickly, a couple of the verses that have this, uh, the bright spot that we talk about. Sure. Um, verse 32 of chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So this idea that he'll destroy a bunch, but some will remain, and they'll be delivered, and they'll call on God. And then look at verse 1. So just ignore that there's a chapter break. It's just end of 32 and beginning of one are just same thought for behold in those days and in that time when i shall bring again the captivity of judah and jerusalem that's a bad translation and the, and the king james translators make this translation a lot it means like um bring to an end and that they, they, i will restore judah at, from its captivity is a better translation so uh the remnant will come back he's going to end the captivity and bring them back and he'll gather them and let's just go to the very end, uh, verse 20. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. What a what a fantastic way for Joel to end his prophecies. This idea that, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff coming, but in the end, this ends well. God takes care of his people and will cleanse them. They will return to him. They will tear their hearts. And so he will cleanse them and accept them back. That's a that's the bright spot. That's the beautiful promise. Excellent. Well, that's good. I mean, it's, it's we all in throughout the Old Testament, even though we have a lot of, you know, hey, you're going to be punished, whatever. There's almost always, I mean, we point this out in Hosea again, that the next verses are, but still the Lord, you know, we've talked about the, 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 his hand is outstretched still. We've talked about the differences, what that could mean, but the sentiment still is there that, that the Lord is always willing to take us back. So let's not rest on our laurels. Let's move forward and, uh, and do our best to try to get, to get or stay on track. Amen. Well, uh, we've made a, <laughs> we've made, we've made three verses into a, in a decent sized podcast. So I hope that, uh, that made uh, resonated with some of you out there and that uh, this is worthwhile. If you have any comments, put the comments down in the whatever platform you're looking at, and we'll try to look at those and, and read those. We actually do read those, 
and uh, and and oftentimes respond or Kerry can respond in those ones. And uh, if if we have time, if he's not in Toronto or flying around to some, <laughs> you know, Egyptian dusty dig. Anyway, but leave those notes and then and then share this with other people and let's uh, let's help the community grow. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll uncover some things that will resonate with you in the scriptures that will help you to make these real in your life and connect with them. I know that throughout this podcast, uh, and I when I say throughout the podcast, I mean when we started it last year, uh, doing the end of last year, I've had many insights. In fact, it happens almost every time we talk that even though I kind of know what we're, we're going through, I've gone, oh, yeah, hey, I didn't think about it. I didn't do this, right? Or Me too. A new clarification. Yeah. And even when even when I'm not on the podcast and I'm out running in the morning and I'm listening to you and another guest, I'll go, oh, I got to, when I get home, I got to write that down because I like that what they said. So anyway, I hope that's happening with you out there. And if it is, then help share with it. And if it's not, then correct us and help us get on the track and and uh, make something uh, important for people to listen to. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next time. And thanks again for joining us on the Scripture Reality.